0: Season, you feel like there's more that you ought to be doing, right? You ought to get your Christmas shopping done, you ought to travel to this event, you ought to see these people, say hi to them, increased demands. Family, right? Often around this time of year, people are around family. Family is one of the many things that has been affected by sin, that has been broken, and so it can be a stressful time. Or you may have a lack of family, right? You may not have anyone to be around, and that can be depressing in its own right in this time. And then the third is expectations. And so for people who are already depressed or maybe have reasons to not be just happy and excited, they often feel like this time of year they're supposed to be, right? So you show up to gatherings and it's like everybody expects you to kind of put on that smile and be happy. And if you're not, now not only do you feel sad, but you feel guilty for being sad and you feel like you're letting people down or ruining their holiday by not being happy. So there's all these reasons, right? Why this time of year can be difficult for people, why it can be depressing. The struggle is real, as they say. And here I am, and I'm going to tell you, based on this passage, to rejoice this Christmas. And I'm going to do so uh, not because I don't think the struggle is real, right? That stuff's real, right? And and, and it really does affect you. Uh, And I'm not going to do so because it's just what you're supposed to do, right? It's Christmas. Hey, you know, try to be happy this time of year, right? No, that's not what this passage gives us. It does give us a calling to rejoice, but it gives us reasons to rejoice. It gives us reasons. There's things that are true about Christmas that if you really get them, you understand them, and you really believe them, they just naturally will produce joy in you. They're joyful things. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The first thing is that Christmas is good news. The second is that it is unto you. It is good news for you. And then finally, if that's true, then we should not only rejoice, but rejoice publicly, okay? So first, uh, Christmas is good news. In the same region where Jesus was born, we read in Luke chapter 2 that there was a group of shepherds kind of doing the normal shepherd thing, watching their sheep by night, as, as we sing often in the popular Christmas song, and an angel appears to them, and the angel tells them that he has good news of great joy. The Christmas message, according to this angelic messenger, Is good news of great joy. But again, he doesn't just say, now be happy. He gives them reasons, right? So the reason he gives for why this message is good news of great joy is given to us in verse 11 of Luke chapter 2. The angel says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So he's saying, This child who has been born, there's something about him that is good news of great joy. He's a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? Now, if you know that you need saving, the news that a Savior has been born is good news of great joy. So, to give you a bit of background in this book of Luke that we're looking at, uh, if you haven't been with us especially the last couple weeks, Luke so far has given us kind of two big reasons that the people needed saving. One is that God's people at this time were under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. So, they have a powerful, Kind of totalitarian oppressive force ruling over them. And the Caesar of that time was a man named Augustus, who's introduced in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, as reigning at the time when Jesus was born. And he made claims for himself that were godlike claims. You were to serve him as though he was a kind of divine being who demanded your absolute allegiance. And so what that did for the people of God is it made them feel compelled to give their worship, really, their obedience and their allegiance to someone who wasn't actually worthy of it. It prevented them from serving and worshiping God as they wanted to. And so they needed to be released from that kind of oppression, right? They needed salvation from oppression and from suffering. And that's kind of something outside of them, right, that this, this evil empire. They also needed to be saved from something inside of them, and that's what was called sin, right? They, Luke's told us so far that they needed to be forgiven of their sins. So that unless they had salvation from that, they were guilty before God. And the sentence of condemnation stood over them. They would always know there's something wrong with us, we deserve God's judgment. And they would never be free to really rejoice. And so, salvation is needed from suffering, salvation is needed from sin. And to suffering people, to people guilty of sin, the message comes, a Savior has been born. With the birth of Jesus, the end of pain, the end of suffering, the end of injustice, the end of oppression, the end of guilt, the end of shame are in sight. The Savior has been born. And the Savior is the Christ, it says. So he's got these three titles, right? The Savior who is Christ and Lord. Christ is a translation of the word Messiah. This was a, an expectation of the people of God for years. It was the kind of thing that they would talk about with each other. They would say, one day when Messiah comes, this anointed ruler of God, he's going to set us free. So Messiah is going to come and everything is going to be okay. What this angel is saying is that's not just a fairy tale, it's not just something parents told their kids to get them to go back to sleep at night. Hey, it's going to be okay. Messiah's going to come one day. The message of Christianity is not a fairy tale. It's not, hey, life's hard, but you've got to believe in something if you want to have hope. And so whether Jesus saw that stuff's real or not, believe, and then you can be happy. You can be happy if you believe in this, right? There is real cause for rejoicing, but it's because it actually happened. Luke, the guy writing this book... At the beginning of the book in chapter one he kind of tells us here's how i want you to read this book he says what i'm going to do in this book is i'm going to make an orderly account of the best historical documents of this time period and i'm going to transmit them to you so that you can know what really happened he's saying i want you to read this like you read a newspaper as news as a report of something that has happened in history and he's saying in real history in real time that messiah that thing that you set your hopes on for years, to come and make everything right, it actually happened. It's not just a fairy tale. Unto you is born this day a child who is Savior and who is Messiah, who is Christ, right? And then third, this Savior Christ is Lord. That word Lord has now appeared over a dozen times in the book of Luke. And every time it appears in the book of Luke so far, it refers to God himself, The creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. John, the one who's born just before Jesus, was supposed to come and prepare the way of the Lord. Now John has come, and the next person to come is Jesus. And what's his name? Lord. The Lord God, the creator of everyone and everything, entered into his creation in real time and put on real flesh in Jesus Christ. And remember, again, this is being written, this is taking place at a time when the Roman Empire is in charge. When there is a Caesar, again, I don't know how good your Roman Empire history is, mine's not great, and so I had to like, learn this stuff this week. But Caesar Augustus was the first one to be called Caesar in the Roman Empire, and he had this kind of majestic title that he was to be served as Lord. He would call himself, there were statues with inscriptions that referred to him as Lord. But when Luke sits down to write his history, right, he's saying, I'm writing you a newspaper. He doesn't tell you the incredible story of Caesar Augustus. He mentions him. But he says, there was another Lord that was born in those days, whose reign will outlast Caesar Augustus. And now we have the benefit of knowing 2,000 years later that Jesus' reign has far outlasted that of Caesar Augustus or that of the Roman Empire itself. That's the Lord, right? This is the Lord who we are actually to worship. And he is a Lord unlike any other Lord. Caesar was popular and and kind of big because he dominated everyone, right? Like they just went and they wrecked shop in your town. And so now you had to become a part of the Roman Empire because they would kill you and destroy you if not. This, This Lord comes. And when God himself, the one who's infinitely more powerful than this Caesar, comes into the world... He comes as a baby, and he comes as a baby to parents that nobody at this time has heard of. Mary and Joseph, I mean, we know who they are because they're in our Bibles, but they're just an obscure, there's no room for them at an inn, right? Like, they can't even get a room for the night. And that's, and he's born in a feeding trough, in a place where animals feed, because this Lord, this Savior, this Christ, he hasn't come to destroy his enemies, for their sins against him he's come to save his enemies from their sins that they had committed against him he's come to save them from the forces that oppressed them not to come and add to their oppression (laughs) and to bring more of it he's come to release them and so he comes as a meek gentle child though he is lord of all though he is god though he has power over all and if that weren't enough. To explain why this is good news, more angels come in and join in, right? And so when we get to verse 14, we read the song of the rest of this heavenly host coming together, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is where we get our song, uh, Gloria in excelsis Deo. If you've ever sung that song, you're like, I'm saying words and I don't know what they mean. Um, (laughs) You're not alone. Uh, (laughs) That's Latin. It means Gloria, glory. Deo is God, in excelsis in the highest, glory to God in the highest, that's, that's where we get this from. So now you know, that's really the only reason I wanted to tell you that. So, um, but there is meaning to that too, okay? So glory to God in the highest, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's saying that the birth of Jesus will take glory from other things and return the glory to God in the highest. Because with the birth of Jesus, we see that there's only one Savior, and it's the Lord himself. Do you realize how much of your misery and how much of your stress in life comes because you give glory that only rightly belongs to God to something else, and it inevitably lets you down because it can't save you, right? And so you, you put all your hopes on a person, a relationship, let's say, or, or you know a family member, and inevitably they let you down, and it's not just sad, it's devastating. It crushes you because you've given glory in the highest to somebody who doesn't actually deserve it. You look at your career, you look at your bank account, you look at your family. Those things that we talked about that depress people at Christmas, right? Because they let you down, because they can't save you. You you look at them and you expect them to, and now you need them to work. And if they don't work, you're anxious, right? You can't control them, so you don't know if it's going to go okay. You give glory to the wrong things. But when God himself comes to be your savior, if you realize that's my savior... That's where my hopes are. You give glory in the highest to him and no longer to those other things. Glory to God in the highest. And then peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. This is is a crazy claim. The claim of this is that there is actual peace that is possible on earth. Who could do that? The Roman Empire had their own kind of peace. They called it the Pax Romana, another Latin phrase, the peace of Rome. But what it meant was like they, they killed you, <laughs> they, 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 domi- they, they destroyed your village and the leadership, and then there was peace between you and them, right? Because they dominated you. This is a peace coming from a God who's born in a manger, who comes to die for his enemies, not to kill his enemies. And it's a peace on earth, right? In this place in which you and I live. Same land on which you and I live. There's a kind of peace, actually, that's offered today that's an otherworldly kind of peace, Uh, New Age spirituality, kind of the idea is you transcend yourself and de-stress by escaping the world and removing yourself from it in a lot of ways. This is a God who comes to earth, right? Who's not a part of it originally, but takes on flesh to come to you so that peace could take place on the earth in which you and I live, in the bodies in which you and I live. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth with whom he is pleased a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news. That's why this is good news of great joy, because there is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and he brings glory to God in the highest, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I'm guessing that at least for some of you in the room, the joy hasn't entirely hit you yet. And I, you're not alone. Uh, every year I feel like I get to Christmas, and it kind of it takes me a while to get there and to say, like, I, I guess I'm, you know, again, it's that thing. I'm, I'm supposed to be rejoicing, but I, I don't know, I'm not yet. And so, and so what's going on? And usually, if you're not, it's not because you hear things like salvation, and you say, nah, who needs that? You know, like, peace on earth, like, pfft, I could live without it. You know, wars, they kind of work for me. Probably not, right? Like, you, you, you might agree, like, yeah, okay, that, that's good news, I guess. Usually we don't rejoice, because we don't think the good news is for us. We say, yeah, okay, that sounds nice, and I'm sure that works for some people, but I'm more rational, I'm, I'm, I need more evidence, right? That's just not connecting with my life. Or we say, I've got real problems, <laughs> right? And th- this message isn't going to enable me to rejoice this Christmas because I, I, I've got the real problems, right? They're not, they're not being addressed. Or maybe you don't have many problems at all, and so you don't think you need a Savior. Wherever you're at on that, okay? This, I, w- I'm gonna t- I think you should still rejoice this Christmas because this good news is unto you. Second thing we're going to talk about. It's unto you. So don't miss who the angel appears to in this passage. The angel appears of all the people he could come and make this announcement to. He makes the announcement to shepherds. Shepherds were kind of the bottom rung of the social ladder in society at this time. They had the dirty jobs, right? So no college degrees, no 401ks, no vacation stories to talk about with each other. They were just bottom rung, you know, low-class citizens in that society. And, and the angel appears to them And he says to them, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then in verse 11, he says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now when a child's born, the child's born unto their parents, right, ordinarily. But the angel says to shepherds who have never met Mary and Joseph, not related to them anyway, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That means that you don't get to look at God and say to God, no, that's not for me. God revealing this to the lowest class members of society is God. What He's saying is, if it could be for them, it could be unto you. If it could be for the shepherds, you don't get to disqualify yourself. That's the beauty of a Savior, actually. How do you disqualify yourself from needing saving? Well, I'm too bad. Well, Saviors come for that, right? I've got got too many problems. I've I've got too much pain in my life, too many needs. Well, Saviors come for problems, right? They come to save people from problems. They, say, they come to meet needs, right? They come to deal with issues and deliver. You can't suffer too much or sin too much. That just makes you more qualified. Saviors come for those very kinds of people. Saviors come for people who can't save themselves. People who already have all that, right? They've already got perfect family. They've already got all the money they need. They've already are really good, kind, morally upright people. They don't need saving. Right? They got it all. It's the people who know they're lacking in any of those things, really, who know they need a Savior. So if you're here today, I bring you good news of great joy to you. For unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, I know it may still feel like, yeah, that's nice, you know, works for others, it'll never work for me. But remember, we're talking about news here, we're not talking about what works. I'm not trying to give you a method that will help you be happier next week. I think if you really believe this, it will. But that's because it happened, right? That's because it's news. You read it like a newspaper, not a self-help guide. This happened. And it is good news of great joy. You say, well, did it really? I need more evidence. That's fine. That's fair. There's a whole Gospel of Luke, right? We're on chapter 2. You can keep reading it. There's more evidence here of Christ's divine personhood. The historian Luke is going to give you more of that. But are you really evaluating the evidence? Is that really what's happening? Even in this chapter, right, we, we read of Mary. When Mary heard about all this from the shepherds, it says she pondered it in her heart. That's a good thing, right? She sat there and she thought about it. She didn't just, boom, respond right away. She said, to think about this some more. So if you're there today, you're in good company. Think about it some more. But ha- are you really doing that? Have you really evaluated the evidence? Have you actually examined the claims of Christ? And just said no to Jesus. Don't write him off. He's worthy of pondering, of thinking about this. And and, and no matter how skeptical you are, this good news is good news of great joy unto you. Because the reality is, you need it. You need it just as much as I do. You need it just as much as every other person in this room does. Because remember, what did he come to save us from? He said suffering and sin. And I have a hard time believing that you think you don't suffer. Most of us know, actually, acutely, all the things that are going wrong in our lives, right? We, we, we can reel off a list of all the things that we're dissatisfied with. The problem some of us have is we think we can save ourselves from them. We think, well, if I just make enough money, if I get into the right house, and if I get the right friends and the right job, I really ought to be able to design my life in such a way that pain just doesn't happen to me. Now, how long can you live that way? before nature just calls your bluff, right? How long can you really live under that illusion? Pastor John Piper, pastor in Minnesota, he says, you can't put enough locks on your door to keep out cancer, right? You live in a fallen world. And if you think you can avoid that somehow, you're either really young or really naive. It's going to find you, right? The brokenness of the world will come to you if you can't already recognize it, in your own life or in yourself. You can't save yourself from it, in other words. You can't engineer your life well enough to make sure it doesn't hit you. You need someone else to save you. If you were to have peace on earth, right? On earth, real peace. Okay, suffering. And then there's the sin issue, right? You need salvation from that too, no matter who you are. Maybe that's a harder sell for you, right? We usually know the way other people sin against us but maybe think of yourself as a good person. It's the end of the year, good time of year for reflection. What you should do is just look back on the year, look at all the things that you said other people shouldn't do, right? If, we, if, if only people would be more, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. how many times did you say that this year? Or why do people have to be such fill in the blank? You know, wh- what did you put in that blank this year? Take that list, make your own like Ten Commandments, okay? Those are the things that you said other people shouldn't do. And then judge yourself by that standard, and then tell me that you don't sin, right? That you don't have a sin problem. We know, right? We know that there's things that you shouldn't do. Like, we, we can decry the sin of racism in our country, but then in us, we still have this implicit bias to favor people who look like us and be afraid of people who don't. We, and, and we're right to decry the sin, but we're, we miss it in ourselves. We can decry the lies of politicians, President Trump. And where they're guilty of that, we should, right? But put us in a situation where we're unlikely to get caught, where shading the truth a little bit will make us look a little better, and we're prone to do it. We need a savior from suffering. We need a savior from sin. And then peace on earth among people. Like, does anyone really think we have that? So if you're here today and you've suffered and you're guilty of sin, and you don't have peace, I bring you good news of great joy. Unto you is born this day a savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's why this message comes so naturally to people like shepherds. Because they know they don't got it, right? They're on the bottom of society. They know, I need saving, I need help. And that's the, that's the irony. They're the ones who have the greatest joy. It, it's those who know they have the least who sing the loudest at Christmas. It's those who know they have the least who sing the loudest. If you know I've I've suffered and I'm guilty before God and I don't deserve anything from him and you hear that he unto you has been born a savior, you'll rejoice this Christmas. If you think I've been a pretty good person this year and my family stinks, you're not going to rejoice this Christmas, right? There's not good news for you. But if you know I don't have it, I haven't pleased God, but unto me? Unto me? Is born not an enemy, but a Savior? Who came not to condemn me, but to save me? That's good news of great joy. Or, finally, you may miss out on Christmas, the joy of Christmas this year, because instead of rejoicing in the Savior, you're trying to be the Savior. I mentioned earlier that some of us think If if I just do this right, right, if I just get a little more disciplined and do the right thing, do what I know I'm supposed to do, I really ought to be able to make this thing work, and it's driving you crazy. People think that about politics, right? Like, whatever side, it's part of the reason our political conversation is so toxic right now, and there's so little peace over it, because people think, and maybe you're here today and you think this, we would have peace on earth if we could just get the bad guys out, Right? if we could just marginalize their voice or beat them in elections, we'd have peace on earth. And so now they're not fellow citizens, they're the enemy, they're villains, and we have to conquer them. And isn't it clear that that's not bringing peace on earth? It's bringing greater division. Neither you nor a political party can bring the peace on earth this passage is talking about. If you try to, you'll go crazy. (laughs) Our politics is crazy. You'll go crazy over it. Some of you are, will, will have a hard time rejoicing this Christmas season because you're so acutely aware of your failures and your shortcomings, of the things you haven't gotten done, of the things that you wish were different, that you wish were doing better in your life. But I bring you good news of great joy. Unto you is born a Savior, and it's not you. The Savior is Christ, the Lord, not you. You don't have to be the Savior. You have a Savior who has been born unto you to bring glory to God and peace to his people on earth. For that to happen, God's not going to leave that in your hands. Hey, you do it. You can't do it. You're the one who needs to be saved. You can't save yourself. I can't either. He had to do it himself, and that's what he's done. He came at Christmas to deliver us from our sorrows, to deliver us from our sins, and the way he did it is he entered into them. He didn't stand back and say, you fix it. He came and entered into our sorrows by suffering himself, right? He's not a God who just sits back and lets you suffer. He's a God who comes to suffer for you. He becomes a human in Jesus Christ and is born in a feeding trough under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire, executed ultimately under the oppressive rule of that same empire. He came at Christmas to, to live a sinless life, to commit no sins, so that when he died on the cross, he would not be dying for his own sins, but for your sins, so that you could be saved from your sins, so that the blessing he deserved could become yours, because the curse that you deserved became his. He came at Christmas, ultimately, to rise from the dead, to go into the worst suffering, The suffering that neither you nor any political party can rescue you from. The suffering of death. The suffering that no amount of medical technology or engineering is ever going to be able to alleviate you from. He came and didn't have to and chose to die for you so that he could rise from the dead. So that you, though you die, could live with him forever one day in peace on earth with him in a new body. And one day he will come again to raise your dead body that you might live with him forever that you might sing forever glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with them, to those with whom he is pleased. If you're here today, God has been pleased to reveal this same good news to you that he revealed to those shepherds that night. How will you respond? How will you respond? Believe this good news today. Believe it and your sins will be forgiven. And your suffering will not be alleviated immediately but it will be transformed. you, You will begin to suffer in fellowship with your Savior who suffered for you. Just imagine, what if every time you suffered, what if every time your sin was exposed, you did so knowing that I have a God who made me, who so loves me, that he came to forgive my sins and to save me. And in this moment, His love for me is unchanging and he will work this for my good and to give glory to himself in the highest. Might that not bring some peace into your life? Well, again, there's good news of great joy. This savior has been born to bring you that very thing, to bring glory to God in the highest and to bring peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. And one day he will come again and there will be no more suffering and there will be no more oppression and the enemies of God will finally be defeated. So rejoice this Christmas season. Rejoice this Christmas season. It is good news of great joy. And finally, let that rejoicing be public. Rejoice publicly. The shepherds receive this good news, right? And look at what they do with it. They follow through. They go to see the baby. Verse 17 says, once they see him, they make known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Verse 20 says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They're acting like typical rejoicers. They're doing what we all naturally do. They're taking the thing that they love the most, the thing that gives them the greatest joy, and they're telling others about it. You, you know, if you get to gather with family or friends this Christmas season, you know that's going to happen, right? The people around you are going to be talking about the things that give them the greatest joy. If the thing that, that, that kind of is their hope in life is their career, they're going to be telling you how great it is and how great the last promotion was and how great the new project was. If the thing that's kind of the greatest joy in their life, the thing that gives them a great sense of hope and salvation is the new relationship they're in, they're going to tell you how great this person that they're dating now is and how, how much they love them. So wouldn't it be natural that if a Savior has been born unto you who needs salvation, that that might come up in your conversations? The only difference really is that uh, we tend to think people look at us funny if we talk about Jesus, if we talk about the one who has saved us. Whereas, you know, if you talk about the eagles or whatever, people are, I don't know if that'll be a topic of rejoicing. Did they win? Did they? They, they did, okay. So, good news. Not quite great joy, but yeah, I mean, it's good. Um, people won't look at you funny, right, if you talk about that. But we think, wow, but if I, you know, if I, and just to be clear, I'm not saying you're going to break out in song in the middle of your Christmas dinner, Right. But doesn't it make sense that if if you've received good news of great joy, that you would tell someone about that? Like this this Christmas season, for various reasons, I'm acutely aware of my own failures and shortcomings. There's been some things that have happened in the last couple weeks that have just really brought that to the forefront for me. And I'm rejoicing this Christmas season that Jesus is the Savior, and I'm not. So wouldn't it make sense that as I'm gathering with other people that I might talk about that on some level? And wouldn't it make sense that in a season that in theory is about this very thing that it would come up in your conversations? Who cares if someone looks at you funny? They're not the Lord, right? Jesus is. Your sins have been forgiven. You don't need their approval. You have God's. Rejoice this Christmas. It really is good news of great joy and it really is unto you today. Don't let anything stop you from rejoicing and don't turn it off when you get around other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, um, you have brought to us good news of great joy this Christmas season, Lord. Uh, and we confess, you know, we, we confess that uh, for many of us, rejoicing doesn't just naturally pour out of us even as we hear that good news. And so we're dependent on you, Lord, um, by your spirit. Would you just clear the clutter of anything that's getting in the way of our rejoicing? Would you just dispel and dispossess us of any lies we're believing that would say that this isn't unto me, this couldn't be unto me, Lord? Um, The only way we can be disqualified is if we think we're qualified. And so I pray that all of our needs and all of our burdens, God, would just be all the more reason to rejoice this Christmas season, that unto people like us, unto me, is born a Savior. We thank you, God, that when you came to earth, you came not to condemn us, but to save us, not to destroy us, but to redeem us, to make us new. That you came uh, not as a conquering king, but as a saving king, as a forgiving king, as a child, even a humble baby. The creator entering into his creation, Lord, fill us with wonder and awe this Christmas season. At that, and most of all, Lord, fill us with joy. For you have brought glory to your name. You have brought peace on earth with those with whom you are pleased. We thank you that you've been pleased tonight to reveal this to us. May we respond in faith and may we respond with great joy. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.